back to the YHOP periodically reminding people about Occam's Razor podcast. Occam's Razor, if you don't know, is a great statement that says the simplest explanation is always the right one. And now that we are going through a second NHL expansion draft, it's clear that some NHL GMs have never heard of Occam's Razor. Uh, they were more behaved this time than last time. There's still some what the hell are we doing here moments. I should insert the great Taylor Troman drop. What are we doing? I'll, I'll say that I think it's a little, I mean, we don't know the inside track. So I think it's a little risky to let Gabriel Landeskog hang out there. Uh, I wouldn't tempt fate like that as if he was my captain, somebody that I was trying to bring back or, you know, at the worst, I would have traded his rights if I thought it was gonna going that badly, uh, or you know, because if he's willing to sign in Saint, in Seattle, that's that's pretty tough. It's amazing how many tweets that I have seen in the last day or so, and how much of them you know are actually correct. It's like if Seattle plays this right, and I have no reason to think that they're not. I mean, you can say what you want about. Um, the Ron Francis tenure in Carolina, but they've got smart people working in that front office. They could yeah. immediately become the second best team in that division. Yeah. I mean, goaltending and coaching were Francis's downfall in Carolina. The coach I I think is pretty solid, so I'm not too worried about that. And, you know, the goalie, I think their goalie is going to be pretty good. It's going to be some sort of combination of Dreger, Price and who whoever let's get however else they want because we're going to spend a lot of time talking about the expansion lists obviously and it's very nice to know that the florida panthers are more than likely not going to be participating (laughs) it's great it's great to see like because because the 2017 memories are fully in the rearview mirror now and thank the lord for that because i mean the the list was so easily known based on what happened on thursday it was it was great to see Uh, there's so much to get to, and we're going to try to get to as much of it yeah. as we can. Apologies for this being a bit scatterbrained. Uh, before we start off on this, this is probably one of about four podcasts you're going to get in the near future. Uh, we will have some, uh, this one, of course, one right after the expansion draft. It's a bold promise. Bold promise. We'll try to keep our promises. We'll do our best. Periodically. Period. That's why this is called the Periodical Podcast, of course. Then we will have one after the entry draft. We've got some good plans for that. And then one after all of the free agency and other moves that come in about 10 days time from where we're recording this so you're going to get a lot of interesting podcasts coming there's a lot of news and i can imagine in the way that this nhl news cycle has gone that more wild stuff is coming so i have to start usually we start with the panthers but we are not starting with the panthers today let's start firstly with uh the fact that the philadelphia flyers for years have been looking for a number one defenseman and they got a number one defenseman for about as cheap as you'll get a number one defenseman for that trade when Frank Saravelli tweeted it, I, I could not believe what I was seeing. I thought it was a fake account. It, I mean, it wasn't one for one, but it was kind of that one for one moment for me. Uh, I, that's a similar sort of shock and value disparity, um, I thought. And I'm still wrestling with whether I like nashville flipping patrick for glass i mean i know the big reason they did that was glass is protected from the draft patrick wasn't but i mean i think the upside especially offensively is higher with patrick but it it is very risky maybe you know they're prone to his medical history we aren't so uh but ryan yeah that trade 
criminal criminal criminally low i don't know if Poyle has mad cow disease or something he needs to get checked out um but maybe it's time for a new gm in nashville um because I say I that was say worse than a lot of expansion lists it was not a good trade from Nashville's perspective, but let's focus on the Flyers' perspective for it first, because you were talking a lot at the end of the regular season about the Flyers having to decide, are we going to go for it? Are we going to rebuild on the fly? What are they going to do? And with this move, it's very clear that they're going for it. And the more you think about going for it, the more it makes sense, because you look at the Metro division next year, it's not like the Atlantic where you legitimately could have four cup contenders in it. It's got a bunch of good teams, but I don't think there's a great team in that division. Every one of them has flaws. We're talking, of course, before the expansion draft, before a lot of moves are made. So, obviously, our opinions could be adjusted. But if you're the Flyers thinking, you know, we still have a good group. We should take a swing at this. And we already have a lot of prospects, so rebuilding doesn't make a ton of sense. Could they win the division if things break their way next year? Yes. And so, if you trade for Ryan Ellis, who, whatever you think about being on the wrong side of 30, some of his medical issues. If you're getting anywhere near peak Ryan Ellis next year, the Flyers have an opportunity to win that division because no one really jumps out at you. And to me, I think that's definitely a risk worth taking, especially at the price you had to give up, which was a decent second-pairing defenseman, but probably nothing more than that, and a player that they were never going to get the most out of anyway. And I think Myers was kind of showing at his age that he was kind of plateauing as a number four, maybe a five, uh, and not so much that three push two defend, you know, push two defender. Um, It's not so much his hockey sense, but uh, he's a little too deferential with the puck. uh, And uh, he, he is just a little too hesitant and slow with it. I mean, obviously he's still young. He, he, there's still a lot of games in his career and everything, but right now they, you know, Sandheim's coming into arbitration. They're going to, they hopefully are losing go to spare or JVR, some big cap um, coming uh, in this expansion draft. Fletcher did a really good job of positioning it where it's kind of like Seattle has to pick which chunk of contract cap hit they want, um, whether it's JVR, go to spare or, um, someone like Voracek or something like that. Uh, so, you know, this, the trade even allowed them to better situate themselves, uh, and get something for Patrick instead of having to maybe lose him or, or waste a spot on him. Not so, so much to say waste. I hate to say that about the, the player, but, um, I think it's one of those where it was just a really good, it's just so tragic that the stories of his injuries and all that he dealt with. And it was clear that it was just never going to work out. And one of the hardest decisions that any sport you're going to make is when you give up on a young player and when you know it's time to move on and good general managers, good front offices find a way to make that work for them. And Chuck Fletcher did an incredible job of making that work for them. Yeah. the, The big thing is like, they traded Myers before they started decreasing his ice time and making it known that they they weren't looking to him as a horse. They weren't looking to him as a burgeoning, a you know, a burgeoning prospect. So, and, and same with Patrick. You know, they were still last year giving him good minutes, giving him good looks when he was going and when he was healthy, pushing for him. Uh, and instead of seeing him, you know, drop down the lineup and stay down there for a while, getting good value on them now. Uh, instead of being one foot out the door, one foot in the door with them and, and having the players suffer, 
Uh, and Nashville's a good play- landing spot. They have a good fan base. It's a good city to live, you know, area to live, all things considered. You know, players like playing there. Um, you know, shout out to Pekka Rene, who spent his career there and just retired and stuff. And I, I bet he partially retired because he didn't want to, he couldn't see himself playing in a different city or moving. Uh, and he'll probably be, you we know, in the front appreciate office. The, the one club man. You know, I do. I, think, I mean, I, I think it's always a, 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 a testament in, the, in a time in sports when players have more freedom than ever and there's more movement than ever that somebody who could stay with one team and be really good with one team. And there was a debate I was hearing on another podcast, like, is Pecorino a Hall of Famer? And probably not. But like, you don't need to be a Hall of Famer I, to have an amazing career and to have his number retired in Nashville, yeah. which will be great to see. I mean, the, that the, happens. the biggest issue is, you know, he was kind of. Usually for the Hall of Fame, if you don't have the big Stanley Cup trophy, but you have some of the Olympic trophies and stuff, uh, medals really, you can, uh, you know, because people forget that the Hall of Fame is for all hockey. It's not just NHL. Um, And, you know, he was stuck behind Nittamaki, Mika Kippersoff, Tuka Rask and you know he got a he was he got a bronze medal but he he missed you know another bronze medal and and uh, I think a silver um you know in kind of his career range that he possibly could have you know if he played for you know Denmark or not Denmark but like Sweden or something maybe he would have at that time been the guy so it's tough sledding for him to, to get in the Hall of Fame but I think you know one of the things he showed was that he was a big reason of Nashville having that playoff consistency for all those years and that his decline, um, you know, more so than Sutter leaving, Weber leaving, uh, you know, some bad, some other bad trades and kind of losing other parts of their team, you know, he, they, it was only once he started declining that, uh, you know, their competitiveness, competitiveness and their outlook really changed it's interesting to think about the predators as we do now because we saw them you know in the division against florida so often and and there were times when they were playing the panthers and you're just like oh my god they're really bad and they found a way to get back into the playoffs and credit to them and they gave carolina a run but it was pretty evident that they needed to do something because what they were going with wasn't working yeah Uh, this unfortunately means not gonna trade at home but uh back to the to the flyers briefly on ryan ellis because we talk about a number one defenseman and whether what you think of Ellis as the prototypical number one defenseman is, is up for debate. But you were, and I was reading something about it, like Ellis and, and Ivan Provorov weren't able to really command number one pairs on their own, but now you put them together and you have a Sandheim Braun second pair in theory. You know, you start thinking about that in the Metro division in terms of stacking that up with other decors and you're going, okay, now I can see a, a world in which the Flyers can compete because of that and that's something that they you you knew you had obviously with Provorov and Sanheim the talent in those guys but it turns out that they need some more talent to unlock them and Ellis played of course really well alongside Roman Yossi so if you get anything approximating peak Ryan Ellis then again it changes the flyer trajectory a lot now of course they still need more offense they don't have enough and they have to rebuild Carter Hart and these are things that are not easy to do but you look at the defensemen now that the Flyers have, and you can start to make an argument about that team and the way that it's building for the future. And you get Ryan Ellis for a couple of years, and if his decline is still 
major decline is still a few years away, then you've got a couple peak years of Ryan Ellis at a very reasonable cap hit for a number one defenseman. And I think that's why it's such good business for the Flyers. Yeah. And, uh, and it, you're really hoping the that the ESPN you're really hoping that the ESPN money starts kicking in by then and the cap becomes unflat. Um, so, I mean, you're right. He, to me, Carter Hart benefits from this trade. To me, this is, you know, the beginning of a remolding of that back line. I wouldn't be surprised if Hogg and Braun are both gone, uh, or at least one of them is gone too. Uh, and or, or you know go with despair as well if they can find someone I think he will be gone by training camp. Uh, so I would that would you know mean that that's a lot of new defensemen coming in. That's Sandheim and Provorov who are there, and that's four or five new guys coming in on your roster. Uh, so it might be a slow start for them and, and a little hard for Carter Hart in that way. But if they if Vigneault gets you know, good control and reins over them early in the season. Uh, yeah, I think they can have a shot in the division without a substantial offensive boost. But if they get that offensive boost, it's really going to, you know, help all those new defensemen because uh, there's going to be a lot of them. Because we were having that discussion about should the Flyers, like, rebuild or not, and now you clearly see that they're not going to do the yeah. rebuild or retool and it and you think about it more it's like this makes a ton of sense I, ideally ideally it's like you go for it really hard this year you make a deep run and then you spend all next year regular season uh with like Giroux and Ellis like on LTIR and you just tank it and then you get a decent draft pick in 2023 uh which is a pretty deep year and then you know, next year you go right back to it with the rejuvenated well, that's kind of what they did in 2007, right? They had a terrible, awful year, and then they got, what, second overall pick? Yeah. yeah. So, I, mean, I mean, that was more the lottery, but... Well, they this can... is true, but, I mean, the Flyers will not be involved in a lottery, presumably, this year. So, that means if it happens in the uh, Bedard-Mitchkoff year... If you're bad in this division, you can ostensibly fall pretty deep because uh, it's a pretty tight division. If you're the only team dropping points, you're going to fall down and, and get beat Nebraska up pretty Columbus, quick. who is definitely rebuilding, and New Jersey, who I guess is trying to be good, but it's going to be... Like, that's the thing. Like, there's six good teams in the division, presumably six good teams in the division. That doesn't mean they're going to be, you know, anywhere near what, as I said, what the top of the Atlantic is going to look like, but six good teams is... Yeah. A, is a, is a state now you wanted to talk more about the the patrick glass portion of this which is as you said there's expansion reasons for that cody glass doesn't have to be protected patrick would have and now he's gone to vegas where they don't lose a player because of course they don't and obviously there's the brandon wheat kings kelly mccrimmon connection so if anybody's gonna right. unlock nolan patrick it's them and they need centers so i would not be surprised if patrick thrives in vegas but you know for, for a Predators perspective, I mean, we'll get to their expansion lists in a second. I mean, they legitimately went five defensemen and three forwards. Now, some of that is because the contracts they gave out are uh, a little bit dicey. I think you can say they traded were a little for. dicey. Contracts they traded for, I guess, more so. I mean, the I don't fact know. that they protected Duchesne, I guess they know, and Luke Cunning over guys like, you know, Johansson and Yarncroak. And Duchesne, I mean, some of that is basically right. like Vegas, take them if you want. Well, Vegas, uh, Seattle, take them if you want them. They won't. But, but to me, I, that's, that's kind of, 
they hurt their chances. I mean, I would put the focus more on Duchesne and Johansson. I mean, I guess they just really understand that there's no way in hell they're getting picked. So, you know, they're moving on. If they're going to pick big contracts, it's going to be JVR. It'll be Tarasenko, yeah. There's a couple on the expansion list that you know aren't going to get taken. It's like, okay, we know Seattle ain't going to do this. And then there's the others where you're there tempting them to do this. They still need to meet a certain cap figure uh, in the expansion draft overall. But I, I can't imagine them taking those players. But it also just gives you an idea of like, wow, what in the world happened to Fred? Like, Because when they got Johansson, we thought, ah, that solves their center problems. It didn't. Duchesne, that solves their – it didn't do that either. So, I mean, it, it gives they- you – what they traded for was the guaranteed center. Cody Glass isn't going to have neck concussion or whatever ish, migraine issues and be out. You know, hopefully he doesn't like block his shot and break his ankle or femur or, and be out the whole season. Who you know, there's other injuries that you know you can't predict. So that's a weird risk to take. Um, but, you know, somebody that could protect an expansion, they didn't have to change their expansion plan, which obviously was not protect forward. So protecting Patrick would have, you know, put a dent in that plan. I mean, it makes sense. And initially, that's why I thought it was great. But looking more at it and, and kind of and looking at the, you know, the data and the heat maps and the charts and all the, you know, aggregating all of that based on, you know, um, what I've seen, I I think Vegas has, you know, obviously a better situation to deal with Patrick and be patient um, and not have to, you know, try to p- force him to play when he's maybe not feeling 100% or something. Uh, and I, I think that's going to mean Patrick's going to look really good and Nashville, again, is going to be involved in a three-way trade where possibly – they look really stupid, even if, you know, Ottawa that last time looked the worst. But Colorado went out gangbusters from that trade. Uh, yeah. it, is, it is interesting because you look at those and you go, wow, he is an offensive black hole. But then you go, okay, some of it's how Vegas deploys him. Some of it is sometimes young players don't end up working out the way you hope in a, in a certain situation. You have to know when to move on. And as we said before, I think Nolan yeah. Patrick in Vegas, that's the best possible situation because everybody there knows him. But the other part of this is Vegas had three picks in 2017. They were all traded away. Nick Suzuki beat them in the, in the playoffs. Brandstrom's been kind of stuck in Ottawa, and now Cody Glass is in, is in Nashville. So it's – I mean, some of that is, of course, you know, Vegas is going for it, and going for it means you have to give up younger players. But – Still, I mean, I found that just amazingly odd that we talk about that built-up prospect system that they had in their first year. All of this is going so well, and now they're all gone. And you could argue the best one of them just beat them in the playoffs, and they did. Uh, credit to Nick Suzuki, who had a great postseason. He was awesome. And it's going to suck having to play against that every, you know, four times a year in the coming in the coming years. I just wanted to note that along with the, all those new defensemen, the Flyers are going to have to pick up a new backup. Mo- I would most think likely. so, yeah. But there's a so lot it, I, they can get to back up. Right, but it's just going to be it's just going to be a new another new face. You know, somebody else is going to have to get on that ba- in that defensive zone, which is you know the biggest issue for the Flyers right now. I think. Yeah, so. I mean, but but I think a lot of teams are going to go through that, and also we we underestimate. Of course, we had that sprint 
to the end of the season this year, and next year we're going back to an 82-game season plus possibly an Olympic break in the middle. So there's going to be yeah. – you have to be able to rest. You have to be able to be – you know, be judicious in how you deploy your players and when you use them and are you giving them, you know, we know NHL players are not necessarily a fan of um, uh, load management. We're going to see a good amount of that, uh, I would think, in, in this coming year because of the way the schedule goes. And you see what happened in the NBA. You see what happened in Major League Baseball where there's injuries up because you went from a sprint to the traditional long season again, and that's going to mean there's going to be injuries. So I think it's very important for teams to be smart about that, particularly with Olympic break. And the Olympic break is going to be a major, major thing if it happens. We don't know if the Olympics are going to happen, but the rumors are the schedule has an Olympic break. So uh, that's, that's quite an interesting dynamic to this as well. So now we can move on to the Panthers. And, again, it's very nice to know that they're not going to be participating in a bunch of Galaxy Brain expansion draft decisions because 2017 was already bad enough. Uh, yeah, move- so you got till the end of the month to make your Marsha Show, Riley Smith expansion jokes. Because then, now there once August to have. Well, we'll have new ones. Once we'll August be able to update your material. Yes, yeah. So hopefully, hopefully people abide by that and officially move on from that after August. And instead of talking about that, maybe talk about how uh, we should expand to Quebec and get another expansion draft to maybe unload some more uh, contracts since I, we can I do saw it properly some now. About that, and and it was basically in line with hey, we should have an expansion draft every year. It's much more entertaining than the trade deadline. And it was definitely very entertaining for about two hours yesterday. I mean, it would be it would be interesting if there was, like, a redraft portion. Like, every year, teams had to, like, put people into a pool and then go through a redraft and have, like, it a... It would still make bad decisions. A bunch of teams would still make bad decisions. Yeah, but it would be great. You I have mean, a lot it of shuffling. Fun. I mean, it would give us more to talk Obviously, about. Obviously, you can't do that because Well, of course not, but it would still be. Move. It's always fun to talk about oh, the hypothetical. Uh, now, for the Panthers, I mean, it's great to know that they're not going to be participating in expansion draft lunacy uh, because they're run by smart people, it seems. Uh, and the way they did that was buying out Keith Yandel. And as it was pointed out, buying out somebody with no move clause means they don't have to go through waivers and it saves you even more trouble than you would have otherwise had to have dealt with uh, in buying somebody out. So, I mean, while swallowing that contract sucks, and it does, it's probably the best thing that they could have done because everyone knew after the not just the start of last season, but when he was scratched in the playoffs, it became extremely evident that this was going nowhere and it had to end. Yeah, I mean, I wish, I guess I just wish maybe more aggressive steps were taking at the beginning of last year, through this year, in past years, right now through the expansion draft, to get him to wave and, and handle it a different way because that 5.3 or whatever cap hit um, dead space in the beginning of Barkov's new contract is going to be tough. Obviously, they have a better idea of what that cap number is. Maybe they know it's under 10. Maybe they know it's under 11 or something like that. And it's, they've done the math. This is, this is fine. Um, but obviously I'm squirmish about it. Uh, I've been squirmish about it since that contract was signed. And that was my biggest objective. We all knew it was going to end this way because he sucks. Uh, and I'm just happy this is over. Uh, and this is the last contract of that bygone error. Um, I believe. Yep. 
so brought in from that bygone error and uh yeah i keep calling it the error on purpose um and of course it's whew. i remember it? when that contract was signed it was i was getting ready to drive up to buffalo for the draft uh and i walked into o'brien's house the uh other matt uh on the podcast uh to, to go up together and he told me about the contract and the first thing I said is that buyout's going to suck and um, here we are sometimes you don't need to be any sort of magician or m medium to be able to see into the future and you can tell how something's going to end because it did end quite badly but I mean I don't I don't we don't hate Keith Yandel the person obviously but it was it was time it was very evident that they couldn't do this again and they needed not just the cap space, but the ability to play other defensemen because they were not going to be able to scratch him in the regular season. He was going to have to play. And with the way that the Panthers have to evolve from a defensive perspective and also the fact that you know, it's time to see a new look back there in some ways, it, it was inevitable. And the buyout stinks, but I will say this. With very few contracts on the books for 2022-23, they do have 33 nearly 34 million in cap space that's with a lot of deals coming off the books after this season so it doesn't look terrible i mean when barkov's number comes in we can reevaluate but it's going to suck but it was probably the cleanest option because trading him was going to be impossible if you saw what the andrew ladd deal was to get rid of that yandles would have been worse so you you don't want to pillage your entire future your stockpile of assets to just dump that for free, yeah. it would it just would have been it would have been too it would have been too much of a mess, I think in that regard. And so yeah, the buyout sucks, but it's yeah. it's the it's the least bad of all the bad options. Remember the phrase democracy is the worst form of government except for all the others. Keith Yandel buyout is the worst option except for all the others, and that's kind of how I view it here. We're uh, also looking at an incomplete picture, and for the first time, it's like you don't need to overreact, looking at the incomplete picture because. We have a better idea that the people driving the bus are going to get us to the end of the tunnel. Like, you know, it's dark. You know, we don't see the whole picture, but it, it, we have a better understanding that they're going to leverage something, something somewhere else to make that cap buyout not hurt as much. Whereas in past general managers, when they were activating, ever act active in making moves like this and doing buyouts, it was definitely an anchor that was going to sink them and there was no way around it. Uh, so that's an interesting change. It is a very interesting change and also came with two interesting contracts for players who came to the Panthers last year on flyers and turned out to be extremely good. Uh, Anthony Duclair and Gus Forsling. And I find these interesting, not because they were going to be re-signed because we knew they were going to be re-signed. Uh, but I find it interesting because they only got three-year deals, and if you know, the only contracts that Bill Zito is going to end up handing out that's longer than three years is probably Barkoff's when, it, when it's all said and done. And I'm assuming Sam Bennett's also going to get three years or less when that contract comes in. It's a fascinating thing with the way that he has set up his contract negotiations, what he wants to get out of it, and how he can be friendlier to the player and, like, we'll go shorter, we'll go a little higher AAV if you go shorter term. And it gives flexibility to both the players and the team because now Forsling's contract, let's, let's be fair, 
I mean, it is a bit of a risk because you have no idea if Forsling's ever going to play that well again. But if he does, you're getting top four production for way under that value. And if he doesn't, well, that contract's movable. It's not a boat anchor. And the same with Anthony Duclair. I thought he was going to get more than $3 million, But I think part of that has to be, you know, there's trust from Anthony Duclair in the organization. There's trust in the front office. And part of it also is once you establish that trust, you're able to come in at a lower number and sometimes it's not a hometown discount, but it's a situation that clearly Duclair is thriving in. He feels very comfortable here. And for somebody who has never had that in his career has bounced around five different teams before he came to Florida, that comfortability uh, and that, you know, that feeling of familiarity, that feeling of certainty, I think is how you're able to get players to take what looks like, you know, pretty fair fair deals from a team perspective while also not feeling like they sold themselves short and I know you're a little I mean of course you're a little dicey on the Duclair deal but my my opinion on it is this he had horrible luck last year and was also hurt if he gets anywhere near average level finishing you have the potential of next year having a 60 point player for three million bucks I want to make Two amendments there. One, I've come around more on the deal, especially looking at some comparables to that contract and then seeing how you can't, if you're going to sign the player, you can't bring him, you can't hammer it out over a little bit of money in, on the cap hit, uh, you know, when there, when he has, you know, the comparisons and stuff that put him in that range eventually that's going to do damage to the relationship and you don't want that. So I've come around on the number and everything. The, the, um, the other amendment, uh, I forget it now because I was talking about the first one for so long, but I I think to me, uh, could have gotten more on an open deal, but also again, 3 million for somebody who can get you 60 points, possibly considering the role he's available to play and might play next year. That's great money. Oh. And you're also, again, you're paying a little bit. I think it's less because Anthony Duclair knows, I trust Bill Zito. I trust this team. I feel like I'm at home. And it's the same thing with Forsling. And that's why those contracts look pretty good. Because if you were talking about them in an open market situation, they certainly would have gotten more than they got here. Possibly. I mean, I think for Forsling, definitely. For Duclair, I think he probably could have got closer to four. Um, and... The second amendment I wanted to make with the Duclair thing was I don't think it was just bad luck. I think it was a little bit of not trying enough different variants and trying to score after a while. And then I think that's also fixable in the same way that luck is going to change. So, um, you know, for Forsling, it's what defender are they going to give him uh, not to jump into a whole different topic and then cut right back to talking about Forsling, but there are rumors that they're working on a deal to send Strawman to Arizona Coyotes uh, for all or at least half of that cap hit, 5.5 for the just one year remaining. Um, I don't know what's going. He has a modified no trade clause, so whatever he has, he has to sign off on, so we shouldn't be you know spending that money already but there is going to be some more new defenders on that right side not ryan ellis of course but um somebody new on that right side to play with forsling and who is that going to be because that's going to be you know go a long way of whether he can repeat that 
to me, it's all about confidence because the tools are there. Uh, we saw it on exhibition. It wasn't just blind luck. It wasn't just gritting or, you know, desire and pushing his way through it. He has the skating. He has that first pass on the breakout. He can carry the puck and beat the first wave of defense, you know, and then make a good decision with the puck. He's not overly intelligent. He's not, you know, going to rip a lot of goals home or anything like that, but he is a very valuable second pair defenseman and a guy who, when he's going, can lead a pair or jump up and play on that first pair. And that's worth more than 2.6. Yes, it is. And what was fascinating when I was looking at what, you know, Jay Fresh with Dom and what Micah and other people were tweeting out when the contract was announced, I think Dom's line was like, it means we have to put maybe, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but it was like, I think he said, I think we need to put a coaching adjustment in our model because nobody thought Forsling was going to be anywhere near as good as he well, was. And then Quentinville unlocked him in a way that, that I don't think models could have predicted. I don't know but, if I'd call it a coaching adjustment, but like a fit adjustment. It's about, you know, the, the, the players around him, especially the partner, but also the other D around him because that informs the style they play, how they're going to be used and all of that. Um, and, you know, coaches are part of that, but I think it goes beyond that uh, to the front office and just, you know, the players around him too. We talked about this last season and the most impressive part of this Panthers team in their rise from going from mediocre to really good was how every single player that came in found a role and played really well within that role. Every single one of them, even the ones we weren't really particularly high on, like that was Brandon Montour, who was nowhere near as bad as we would have feared. And he might not be coming back, probably isn't, but it gives uh, you an idea of how they can put players in roles and they fit in roles and they're identified in scouting in planning for a specific purpose. And that is incredibly hard to do once, let alone however many times they did it last year. And that's why Forsling's success was so stunning because yeah. he was a guy on waivers. We knew that he had some sort of potential, but then he found a role and he thrived in it. And then what came from the coaching was Joel Quenville says, this is your role, thrive in it. It was when Yandel was playing, they played him in a very specific role, made him do very specific things. It was the same thing with Radko Gudis. It minimizes the bad that we know is there, maximizes what they're good at. And that was how all of those players thrived and how players who we thought were good took another step and how players who you know needed a new role were able to find a role and were able to maximize it. It's how Mason Marchment could play on the top line and look good, even though there's a Barkov car wash aspect of it too. And I think a lot of that has to do with Joel Quenville. We do want to talk about a couple things related to that Panthers related. First of all, they have a new assistant coach in Tuomo Rutu. That happened a million years ago, but it's fascinating <laughs> that they brought in a new assistant coach. Yeah. But And and like, um, it, it's great because Elite Prospects has EP ringside. Um, you know, there's a membership, but there's also some free articles on there. And, one, and they have like a Finnish language and Finnish um, uh, reporters and, and journalists or, you know, commentators whatever analysts whatever you want to call them um but they do a great job uh and you know they were noting that it's not you know the best or the most likely name to get hired by the nhl from finland you know the finnish coaching community but uh obviously the cachet and the you know based on how nhl coaches are hired it probably makes the most sense and i agree with that especially when you see that he 
has coached Lindell and played with Barkov. That's the that's pretty much you know has a little bit of cachet. He has some promise. Uh, he has experience, and he's familiar with the number one and the future number two center of the club. But the other Giddy thing up. I think that's great about it is we always talk about different perspectives and bringing in new perspectives and new ideas to your team. Bill Zito seems to want to bring in a lot of different perspectives and leverage those connections he has in Finland for the greater good of his team, and that's what he's done. I mean, they it's might be the only team in the all league. all of us for hockey, man. This is going to be a good Florida Panthers and a good Tampa Bay Lightning and a good Nashville and a good, you know, Arizona is huge for, for the sport. Of course uh, it is. As, as long as, you know, they exist. Yes. Well, let's, <laughs> the business well, end I can't comment on. Yeah. Well, let's point out this for a second, too. They might be the only team in the league that has two foreign assistants, and I'm not sure if that's true or not. And if it's not, you can correct me. But they have a Swedish and a Finnish now assistant coach. Um, you know I drew it up that way. So I can't. I, I, I was saying, like, it's, Bill Zito clearly listens to Y Hockey because, I mean, this is something Tommy's been talking about for yeah. years. And I, I was taught, and we saw something about Ricard Gromberg when he didn't get hired in this cycle. He said somebody wrote that he might have to be an NHL assistant coach before he ends up being a head coach. Yeah. And I would not be surprised if one of the teams that would actively give him a head coaching job before becoming an NHL assistant might be Florida. Because I think that's something that Bill Zito would be absolutely willing yeah, to do. Yeah, I mean, if it takes that long and that, I guess, I'm not saying Florida wouldn't hire him, but I'm, I'm thinking that at that point, it might not be his first rodeo. He might be an assistant somewhere, or he might uh, be in the NHL already at some point as a head coach. So, Because I just don't see Quinville going for another three, four years. So I, I, I hope he gets in quicker. Yeah, well, let's... Let's focus on uh, one other thing quickly before we start moving on to some other topics. Um, we should talk to the Blackhawks scandal, obviously. It's gross and disgusting. You don't need us to tell you that. Well, I, um, I mean, yeah. I, don't, I, I mean, there is a few things left on the Panthers. Not to, obviously, I don't want to well, cut off and downplay this. I'm going to make a point on this, and then we'll go back because this okay. is Panthers related. Because Joel Quenville has said he's participating with this independent investigation. However independent it is, is up to you to decide. Um, yeah, and, and hopefully he's participating in a more discovery role instead of like a participating on behalf of Chicago role. Yeah, uh, we have no idea what role right. he played I'm in that situation. Hoping. It's impossible it's, to know. And yeah. I think the one the one opinion I have on this is we cannot think of 2021 Joel Quenville as 2010 before the Blackhawks won anything Joel Quenville. His cachet is very different. So I think that plays a role in how we analyze possibly what happened in the past. The only thing I will say about this is, because we can't really comment because there is so much that is yet to be reported on this situation, if Joel Quenville was not above board in this case, which is obviously possible and I'm crossing my fingers that it didn't happen, then I hope that Bill Zito knows what would have to be done in that instance. And I hope we never get there. I hope this, I mean, I hope Joel Quenville was above board in this situation. But if it turns out he was not, and that is obviously a possibility, then I hope Bill Zito, I hope Bill Zito knows what to do I hope Bill Zito knows what he has to do in that instance, if that is the case. But until we get to that, let's not worry about it until yeah. we have to cross that bridge. That was my one point in the Blackhawks scandal because it's gross and everybody yeah. knows that Stan Bowman should probably be fired and a lot of people should be in a lot of hot water for the really terrible things they did and the worst of hockey culture that came out in that situation. But from a specifically Joel Quinn perspective, he's participating in this investigation. There's no way to know what actually happened until it's reported, until we learn more. I hope Joel Quinville was above board. Now we can move back on to other Florida topics that you would like to mention. 
And uh, I want to get onto is something you mentioned, and uh, it was adding that second pair defenseman with Forsling. And Steve Goldstein mentioned it on Twitter. So if Goldie's mentioning it, you know they're going to go for it. Yeah. I um, mean, they actually have a lot of options. And one of the things that I thought we should talk about is speaking of buyouts, um, I've seen the Panthers linked with Ryan Suter. And if you're getting him on a one-year deal because he's flush with buyout money and you're asking him to play a much lesser role than he would have played otherwise, basically doing second pair, he wouldn't have to be first pair penalty kill in any way. That's something that I'd be very interested in looking at because not only would he be coming to Florida to possibly change a, chase a cup, which is hilarious because that never happens, uh, people coming to Florida to chase a cup, but it actually could work from what the Panthers need, and it doesn't really hurt you in the long term when you need to start paying bigger contracts to Barkoff and others down the line. So I actually... Yeah, he made out number, pretty well the buyout, so he knows he has money coming for a while. But, I mean, in theory, yes. My I would have to do some more research on his play without the puck, especially, especially does... Is he able to play big minutes? Because like Yandel, instead of burning out his legs, digging deep in the D zone on like the 25 second cycles, he's just standing straight legged, you know, just watching them go around and keep possession and then extending it to a 40 second shift and they score. Um, you know, that's not going to help. I don't think that's the case with Sutter. That's really never, you know, been the case. But um, I I don't know how. I've watched a lot of Minnesota, but I didn't, you know, particularly pay too much attention to him as the defender, the other defenders I did, and the forwards now, actually, which was funny. Um, it is ironic that we're saying, yes, we're paying attention to wild yeah. forwards now. I mean, I, I'm not against it. I mean, Zito's earned that level of trust that if he did it, I would go in open-minded about it, especially if it came in under, you know, $2 million or whatever, I guess the fair market rate would be if it came under that, I'd be pretty happy. Um, I, I think there's also the possibility that it depends on how Uyghur wants to be used. Does Uyghur want to play right or left? Does he want to play left with Ekblad? Does he want to play right with Forsling? Um, because if they go out and they can get a top-end left defenseman to play with Ekblad, or if they can get a left defensive play with Ekblad, then maybe you move Uyghur down to play with um, Forsling and you're cooking with oil and you can kind of maybe save some, put some money into going out and maybe getting Tarasenko, whether he's picked by S Seattle or um, stays in St. Louis, um, or you know go out and get a score or something like that and put some money down on them. It, it is a possibility. But I, I found that Suter was interesting because of not only, A, the, the hilarious idea that he'd be coming to Florida to chase a cup, which is, again, something I have to still wrap my head around, but also I mean, that it could work. You know, like, a move yeah, like that actually work. makes I mean, sense from a Panthers perspective because it would fill a need. And also, again, you could imagine Suter in some games playing more and other games playing less. And because the Panthers are now pretty good at figuring out here's a role we can put a player in and maximizing them while minimizing their struggles or areas where they are weakest. You could minimize the areas of Ryan Suter's game that are going down, but maximize the things that are still there in a way that I'm not sure other teams would be able to do. 
And that's why I'm, I'm more sold on something like that than I would have been otherwise because of what the Panthers were able to do with other kinds of players in that vicinity. And of course, I mean, again, the other reason why you would, you would have hope that it would work is because, again, the Panthers took so many players like that last year and almost all of them worked. It's an amazing turnaround yeah. for this franchise. And, yeah. and I think that Suter, and Suter might be one of the cheaper options. And again, it might not necessarily be a long-term option. It probably isn't, and they still need to address that in the long term. But for a short term, go for it kind of run. Yeah. You know, I don't think that that's the worst option on the table. And but it's the, one that I'm thinking could could work if you can convince him that Florida is the better place to chase the cup than Colorado or Boston or any other number of these choices. Whether it's Sutter or another defenseman, if they can buy themselves time and fix their top – like. They do, and you should go to whyhockeyprospects.substack.com or pin tweet to uh, at whyhockey to see the draft guide. But you know, Florida might be able to, you know, through this draft, next draft in 2023, inc- and including maybe you know Ludwig or some of the other Colin Chanuk, some of those other D hit and uh, Benning maybe step up and play Gildan. Uh, you know, they would maybe have the D to to backfill a role. And if you can just buy them a year or two with vets that can compete and maybe not vet vets like Sutter always, but maybe like guys that are 27, 28 um, that can compete, maybe a Hampus Lindholm would be fantastic. I don't know how realistic that is or, you know, someone like that that can uh, be consistently valuable uh, in a top four role, play over 20 minutes, uh, and be, you know, confident in all three zones against, you know, good teams, bad teams, all of that. That's what they need because even when they brought in guys like Gudis and Strawman, whether you want to say that they're good support defenders or not, it was up and down. I mean, they, they, it, they can't play as consistent anymore. So getting in, a guy maybe in his later 20s that can still be as consistent playing those minutes uh, all the time it would be better. Again, we trust Zito. And the last thing I wanted to bring up with the Panthers was I thought it was important enough to just talk about. I thought, I think Wenberg getting re-signed is a, a move that probably has, that I think kind of has to happen. I, I'm labeling it as a has to happen. Um and and hopefully there's enough room for that to happen. And, and Wenberg wants to come back. I think defensively, uh, his value's too high. His his ability to get through the neutral zone. I think he's one of the only people to link passes and get through Carolina's and Tampa Bay's neutral zone when they when the Panthers were struggling. And you know, that is a little bit eye testy and going off my memory, um, but. I think Wenberg's a player that's not going to be too expensive that he's going to price himself out of Florida's range. So hopefully they bring him back. I'd rather, you know, lose a guy like Vetrano um, than, than lose a guy like Wenberg. Uh, and honestly, push comes to shove. I would keep Wenberg over Bennett if, you know, Bennett wants considerably more than Duclair. Um, you know, I'm not really sure what he's going to be asking for. He ended on a high. So that's always hard to gauge. 
I think that Bennett's going to get somewhere around Duclair. I wouldn't be surprised if it's almost broadly the same contract. I don't think Wenberg's going to be too expensive either. Now, when we look at the cap space they have, they have 11 million and a half, basically, with Bennett, then Wenberg, and then any other guys that you need to add. Um, to me, so that would get you at a probably around 5 million, but that's before you get rid of Strawman and perhaps you get rid of Vitrano, which would then add, you know, you get back up to like 12. Eight. Yeah, you'd add 7, nearly 8 million in cap space in that area, and then you'd be able to go out and do some things. I also think it's important to maintain flexibility for later, obviously. You don't want to go yeah. do, take anything too cr- – like I've but, seen the – But Panthers flexibility with- is is $3 million at the most. You know, like I think that's flexibility. I don't think, you know, having $5 to $8 million in cash space is flexibility, if it, that's it, what it would end up. This year I don't think next it would- year, too, because when you think about, like, what's going to yeah. happen – and they have to think long-term as well to maximize their competitive window, and when that Barkov contract yeah. comes in, they need to figure that out. And that's, and I think that's also plays a role, but I think they'll have enough to do something substantial. If I'm they just want saying, to. if it comes down to they have a six million dollar cap space left over, I'm offering Sutter like three million for a year. Oh yeah, I would you know? totally be down for that for a one year. Like deal. if they have yeah. that money, they need to be spending it. If they don't have that money, I understand. But if it comes down to it, they gotta spend it because they should be, and they are. As far as you know, the Yando buyout proved to me the commitment financially and in the front office to take on hurdles to compete now, to take on financial hurdles, to take on cap room space hurdles. And, you know, to go out and have to go find a couple more, another defensive spot, and he already needed one, um, you know, I think that shows to me that they're ready and they're willing. Uh, So I expect solid things happen, and I expect Wenberg to come after whatever defender they bring in. I think it's defender and draft right now. And once they get through that, they'll start filling in the other pieces with like Bennett and uh, for, uh, things, like, you go uh, back to that end of season press Sin conference that, yeah, Juleson will, will be around. You'll have Kierstead around. You'll have guys around. They have a lot of arbitration that, you know, they're going to take care of the other guys first, take care of the, the UFAs they bring in from outside first, then start handling, you know, Bennett, then Juleson and the arbitrations that way. I, and they are an organization based on what Bill Zito said back in his postseason press conference after they were eliminated, that is, in some ways, sounds like they're overprepared, but they're prepared for every eventuality, and that's a good thing. And the other thing I think that's interesting is I, I would say the Panthers linked with Hyman briefly, which made no sense, but it makes sense. If you think this- Zach Hyman is coming to Florida, no, you no, no, forget no, no. why he didn't sign with Florida. Th- yes, but I'm pointing it out in this. <laughs> I've seen them link with Landis Cog. I've seen them link with Tarasenko. You've seen them link with a lot of different things. And what it reminded me of was last year they were linked with Petrangelo at some point. We thought for a while they were trading for Nate Schmidt when they didn't. What it shows me is that Bill Zito checks in on absolutely everything. Every single thing that could be in the market he checks in on all of them. And that's a really good way of running your team. I want to keep my eye out on absolutely everything to see what's available, and there's no reason to not do that. And that's why I'm saying you're going to see him linked with everything. But that doesn't mean that all of this is going to happen. Obviously, they're not going to sign Hyman. That makes no sense. But like, it's one of those things, I'm going to check in. I'm going to try to figure it out. And 
That's that's the way you want to run your team. Like if there's big things available, you want to check in on it. You want to see if we can make that work and maybe not, but then it builds up those relationships and you need those relationships down the line. I think that's it's a very good way of doing business. And that's why when you see those rumor aggregations on Twitter or you see, you know, the reporter segment for TSN or you'll see an Elliot Friedman tweet or something of that ilk, you'll see the Panthers were linked with XYZ and you'll go, oh, that doesn't make a ton of sense. But then you think, ah, Bill Zito likes to check in on everything. So clearly he's checked in on it. And he made that a point last year. I remember in his press conference when he was asked about Petrangelo. Yeah, we checked in. We wanted to make sure that we were involved if we needed to be and if we needed to circle back to it. And that's, I think it's a good way of running your team. And it's a good way of keeping yourself in these discussions if such discussions play out and you can make something happen. So that's why you see the Panthers linked with a lot of different things. There is one other Panthers story we need to get to before we get to some other moves around the league. Uh, they will not be fully in control of their own AHL team again this year, but uh, it is interesting that they are pairing up with the Kraken with the Checkers this season. And I don't mind it because, first of all, you know, the conspiracy in me was like, the conspiracy theorist in me, I should say, was like, ah, it means that the Kraken aren't going to do something to completely turn the Panthers over in the expansion draft, which is nice. That, that's, that's, what you, that's what you texted me when yeah, I saw that. Yeah, but now, like, the conspiracy theory in me is like, huh, maybe this will help them flip Tarasenko to the Panthers, like, and retain at, pick. Like, half the, at half the yeah. salary, yeah. There's something, there's a part of that, too. But I, in, in the end, I don't mind. It doesn't it because, hurt. It doesn't, no, it doesn't hurt, hurt because you know what? Screw Vegas. I hate them, and I want to be friends with their enemy, and I want to be friends with Vancouver's enemy, and that Seattle crap. Yeah, that Seattle. Yep. Cascadia rivalries, man. They are fun, and I'm saying they that are super fun. MLS fan who loves the Cascadia stuff. The Seattle Vancouver rivalry is gonna be great in the future. Yeah. It's gonna be one of the best rivalries in the league. I've said that, and yeah. I believe. And, that. So, and yes. I mean, looking at it, Seattle and Vegas probably gonna be the best teams in the Pacific next year. So. Uh, well, Vegas is, and I'm pretty sure Seattle might because of inertia. Because I mean, though, at least to be good. I think Seattle is going to be top three as long as, you know, I think they're going to be competent. They hired so many competent people, and they had a more, I think, a longer preparedness time than Vegas. Like, Seattle, I've heard Seattle pushing for an NHL team and this group pushing for an NHL team before the Vegas team. So I think they've, you know, they're ready to step up and, and shine. So it, it it's not going to be as flashy. So I don't know if I should say shine because it's not going to be, you know, the the shocking all performance on the ice before game one or anything. But it'll be, I'm sure it'll be well done. And that's a that's a that's a pretty good hockey community with roots. So I think Seattle's a great sports town. Oh yeah, I mean I already got Seattle cracking mini hockey sticks. I'm in. I mean I want to support I, I, them. I, I, I said it before, Seattle's a great sports town. I mean, not just the Seahawks. Obviously, as an MLS yeah. fan, I really appreciate what they do in supporting the Sounders. I Frazier, think a, I mean, everything. Yeah. It's, Nirvana, it's, it's a lot. That's a fun sports town, and I cannot wait to see what they're like for hockey. I just expect their entire soundtrack to be all grunge, or at least it should be. Uh, I mean, I think they're going to do it ironically because Seattle. Well, they but... should do it ironically. Well, it depends on what bands. I mean, I guess we'll have to deal with that in the future. Like, what bands are going to be ironically pointed there, out? I mean, there's going to. I have a feeling there's going to be a lot of Chris Cornell, Soundgarden, yeah, obviously. Well, yeah, I love Chris Cornell. May he rest yeah. in peace. Obviously, love Chris Cornell. Love Pearl Jam. Get get me some Alice in Chains. But they'll they'll do deep cut grunge too from before when everybody blew yeah. up. So I'm I'm fascinated by that. Uh, speaking of this, uh, 
Kraken. I almost said Sounders. I'm sorry. If I called them the Hockey Sounders at some point, I apologize. With, as a big with the way player. I mispronounce names, uh, I think you're in the clear. Okay, so let's go. I over, apologize for all the names I missed. Let's go over some of the expansion draft situations that you wanted to get to, and I wanted to get to. We're joking that the Panthers aren't really involved, and they're not going to be because they're not going to do anything so, crazy. I have, uh, I have a question. So since okay. there's not like I agree with you, there's not much. I mean, maybe they take Nudavara, maybe they come to a deal with Montour, maybe you know they really saw something when they scouted Salarella in in Finland or whatever. Maybe they really want Noel Chari to 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 be on the team. Maybe they um, just like cookies. Yeah, <laughs> right. You know, I I I mean, I honestly am intrigued by Noah Juleson if I was Seattle, but I'm just been a huge fan since his draft year. So that's just on me. Uh, but to me, the biggest thing is if they don't pick Dreger, let's just say hypothetically, they don't because he doesn't want to sign there or whatever. Would you go back? Right. And then they can't fit it in. Yeah, exactly. Would you go back to the well? In terms of what exactly? Would you, I mean, like, if he's like, would you try to sign him? Like, would no. you, would you maybe try to meet in the middle and go a little above what you're willing to do to bring him back? Absolutely not. And the reason why you can't do that is, I didn't think you could do that at the start of last season, anyway. And then what happened with Spencer Knight and the fact that every single Florida Panthers fan has Game Five etched in their memory, you can't go back to the well on that. Because if you're blocking Spencer Knight, even if he's playing well in the AHL, after what he just saw, you got to play him next year a good chunk of NHL games. And if you sign Drieger, you can't do that because you're not going to get him for a one-year deal, and it makes no sense to do that otherwise after you burned a year of his entry level. So you, I think you got to let him walk. Otherwise, you'd be investing too much in your goalies anyway. And at this point, Spencer Knight is on a track. It's not necessarily going to be this year, but in the future – to split slash take over from Bobrovsky. And you need to be, at this point, you've gone down the road with Spencer Knight. You got to keep going down that road. And that's why I'm, I'm listen, I think there's going to be times when you can play Spencer Knight in the AHL, get him his games when the Panthers are on a long break, like during the Olympic break, for instance, or for those weekend games when you know Bobrovsky is going to play and you can bring a Montemo well, to be your backup. But I just don't think you can go back to the well with Drieger at this point. He's already We already assume he's going to go. Somebody's going to want to pay him. A lot of teams need goalies. And for the Panthers, you got to start working with Spencer Knight now. You, you've made your bed. you got to lie in it. I agree with you. I'm on board with uh, – I don't know what Montembeau's waiver status is. I think he's probably running out pretty soon, probably on this new deal. Um, but if it was up to me, I'd be trying to have – Three goalies next year in the NHL. Bobrovsky, Montembeau, Knight. That keeps the cap hits low. And I think that's good enough goaltending you're going to get. And I would be able to use Knight's two-way status and get him in Charlotte and Florida. Uh, and I would want him to probably p- play 50-plus games. Play about, yeah, 50-plus games. Like it dep- Whatever breakdown you want, he plays 25 in the I NHL. Think it's got, I think it's got – I think it's got to be 30 plus in the AHL. I think that because I want him, I want him to get not only practice stopping the puck, but I want him to get practice commanding the ice. I want to get him practice running out, stopping pucks, throwing it, trying to spark the power play breakout and catch the penalty kill sleeping and things like that. I want him getting to that level in the AHL. 
because the quicker he does that, I mean, you don't want to go backwards with him. So you want to, you want to ramp. He clearly wants to be ramped up. He, he wanted to get NHL time right away. He wanted to get play. You know, he wants this and he's responded to everything they've thrown at him. I know it's risky. I'm the last person to vouch for it. But I think if you give him enough AHL games in the season, I'm not doing that because I don't want him to play. I'm doing that because when it comes time for the playoffs, I want him to be ready because if he steps on the ice in the playoffs, he's starter. That's it. So if that happens and, again, and after started, what happened it. when they had three starting goalies yeah. in one series, so if it, you as can't soon do as it go down that road again, yeah, I mean, if he gets to March, if he gets to March or whatever, and he's and he takes the reins or whatever, then he's the starter. Period, flat out until he's gone, like off the team. So you know you have to get those AHL games in before that, in as you know use the schedule to move them up and down when you can. You know the AHL has a lot of like three and four night games where he can play two on the weekend and then get dropped down because it you know, get moved up during the week and go to, you know, play a, a Tuesday home game against Ottawa. Perfect. Yeah, I mean, like, they're going to play and four then, games against Detroit, down. four games against Buffalo. Right. You give him the games to boost his confidence. When he has those opportunities in the AHL, when the Panthers have a lighter bit in the schedule – you could do yeah. that again. Somebody pointed yeah. and out. Guess what? Charlotte that's selling tickets. If you're bringing them up for those Tuesday Tuesday games against Ottawa, that's selling more tickets than Tuesdays against Ottawa. Yeah, this is true. But the other thing that was pointed out, and it's true, is that Charlotte's a major hub. It's easy for travel. There's flights daily yeah. to Fort I mean, Lauderdale. It's very easy to. My make geography is really bad, but Charlotte's like really south of North Carolina, like almost South Carolina. So yeah. it's like. It's a great city. It's a perfect. It's a, worst it's, comes it's a perfect, to worse. He can drive on the day of if flights are an issue. I mean, imagine stuff. them playing Thursday in Raleigh. It's a simple yeah. situation in that regard. Like you could, you can, and the flights are not a big deal. You could get that to work. And yeah, so, and I'm pretty that, sure we own an airline. So uh, and we, well, I use yeah, the they're, we. They're, they're quote sponsored by quite say. a big airline that well, has a lot I'm, of flights. I, I don't, I'm pretty sure Viola owns an airline, and he didn't want to sell it, and that's why he didn't work for the government. Yes, but, but uh, I don't want to so, get too into that. But, but I, know. but I agree with you it's on that. I, I, I think, um, as, I, as I said, it was even before Game Five, but then Game Five happened, and now after that, you can't, you can't go back to that well again. Right. Yeah. And, and that's, and that's the thing. Like, I went and watched highlights of that game once again, for you know my own edification on it. Like he was in the zone. It was one of those like I'm just in the zone. I'm doing whatever I'm doing. You know, I'm just playing hockey. I'm not thinking. And it was awesome. But again, that memory is going to be ingrained in Panthers fans for a very long time, and that's why you can't go back to the well with Drieger. Yeah. And again, it was a great story, and I'm glad that Chris Drieger is going to get his bag, and he deserves it. But you can't go back to that well now that now that now that has already proven he can do it. Yeah, I mean, and I would be on as anxious about either of them. So I mean, it doesn't really matter. I'd be anxious about Montembeau. I'd be anxious so, about so whatever goal they bring in. I'm anxious about Bobrovsky at this point. You know, I'm just anxious about their goaltending. But that's just because the D is still in flux. Once Yandelau is a huge help. I mean, just staring at this cap friendly page, looking at their future cap commitments. I mean, if you just ignore that five million in year two and you look at everything else, it's all coming together. It, it's 
pretty wide open for Zito to put his implant, his thumb on this team and, and really put his mark and we can go far. So, you know, it, it's going to be interesting with this D how this D goes, because, you know, if we can bring in some solid D here, whether, I mean, that could be suited plus, I mean, that could be a couple D that are roughly as good or have that calming effect. Bobrovsky's good enough in a in a dual role, you know, Knight playing up and down. I th- I'm a big Martin Mo believer. I think he could be good in that, you know, basically it's a two B role for him. You know, there's Bobrovsky's like a one B, then you have Martin Mo two B, and then you have Knight who's kind of like your starter but also your backup. Yeah, it, it's it's an interesting situation, but it's one that I'm confident they know what yeah. they're doing when it comes to juggling yeah. it. I also think that. I would not be surprised if they did go out and sign a Brian Elliott type. I don't, I didn't, I don't think I don't want Brian Elliott. I just, he's the, he was the flyers version of what I'm saying. So that's why I came to mind. Uh, Speaking of goalies, now that we have to go back on the discussion of Seattle, do you think they're going to take Carey Price? Cause I don't, I I would. It's all bluff. I think it's all bluff. Well, I, I mean like what people saying on, on Twitter, I'm not the first to say this, so I don't want to claim it, but I would at least, make Montreal think I'm about to take them so that they want to give me something to take somebody else. I at least do that and see if they bite. If not, I start calling around seeing if teams want carry price because if, but I mean, the other end of it is what if carry like carry price is probably not going to be Bobrovsky mediocre. I don't think he's going to be a little better than that at worst and at times he can be really good so he's going to be between like he's going to be a little better than Borowski now or Borowski to like what Luongo was kind of in his old age and I think that would be very helpful for Seattle when he's a kid from that general area that played um in that you know in Washington for junior um I think it would be a good on and off ice move and it would give them their mark andre flurry it would however mark Andre. i mean it's not as good of a goalie i mean it's not as better of a chance of redemption i don't think because i think you know flurry had a when you when you see price and flurry you're like flurry makes sense going into his older age he has more energy he has more you know he's more limber he's more like he's just more a freak of nature kind of. You can see how that lasts a little bit longer. Where Price, you can see how he's taken the toll of being that franchise for so long, um, and it might he might start tapping out soon. I if I'm Seattle and I'm not, I don't work there. We know some some great people work in that organization, and I know they're going through it. But my question is. If you're taking Carey Price, because there's there's this duality of the, and I saw somebody pointed out, I think it was Jay Fresh on Twitter pointed it out. Like, in some regards, it's really good if you do a slow burn, slow build, because this draft isn't very good, but the next two are going to be gangbusters. But also, you're in a terrible division where you could easily be the second best team the minute you walk in the door. It's a really hard decision to decide, are we going to go for it now, try to be Vegas, or are we going to try to, you know, slow play this a little bit? And there are temptations either way. And I, 
a good team should be able to find a way to split the difference because Vegas did it, although nobody thought Vegas was going to be that good. Yeah. I think more people are expecting Seattle to be – I mean, they're going to expect more out of them than they expected out of Vegas in year one, although nobody's thinking that Seattle's going to be that good. But again, the division that they're in means that they're going to get a bit of a silver platter effect to this. But my question for goaltending is, is a, let's say, Chris Drieger and Vitek Vanacek goalie pairing, which is what I've seen some mocks say, is that better than Carey Price with whoever? And to me, because of the cap hit, because you, and Ron Francis is saying we need to maintain flexibility, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, you can get good, if not better, goaltending from Chris Trieger and Vitek Vanacek than you would from Carey Price, whoever. So to me, I would steer clear of Price. I would squeeze the Canadians just a little bit while you're on the way to get some draft picks because they've got a bunch of them and they've got some guys who they'd be willing to, I think, part with to ensure that they don't take Carey Price. But to me, I'm going with Drieger and Vanacek probably. Because I'm not sure Carey Price at that cap hit with what we've seen in the regular seasons of recent years. Again, you have to ignore the playoffs at this point. I just don't think it makes sense for Seattle to do that. And I'm sure the Alexander Mandrickis, Namita, Namita's awesome. Uh, I'm not sure they would advise going to take Carey Price. It just seems like something that they would say, you probably should steer clear of that. I'm, no doubt that they're discussing it. But I just can't see them going for that. Like, Tarasenko, even with his injuries, that's a bet I'm willing to take. Max Domi, that's a bet I'm willing to take. James Van Riemsdyk, it's a bet I'm willing to take because the coach knows him. Price, that's a much bigger gamble because if it doesn't work, you're stuck with that. And there's no getting out of it. It's a, it's a Bobrovsky contract issue, and you just, you're not going to be able to. Even when the cap starts going up, you can't get out of that. So I think they're going to steer clear of it. I do. It, it's, it's hard. hard. Call, I mean, I just think that I just think that going with Drieger and Vanacek or something of that ilk makes a lot more sense, and you might still get better goaltending. You might get better goaltending, but I think you can still get Price and a guy who can, like, I don't understand. I think you could still get Price and somebody else who's good enough. That if price isn't what he's supposed to be, you can backstop it. And you know, again, I I'm under the impression that you should go for it now because worst things you do, you hit rock bottom and you rebuild through 2023 and you take your lumps. I I mean I know that's really callous and everything, but I mean, if you're just if you're in the middle, you can't be in the middle. So you might as well go for it and rebuild at the same time which is what i'm advocating for is just go for it now and then if you have to rebuild you have to rebuild and then you're decisive you're on a path fans are happy you're being competitive and you're also as soon as it if it doesn't work out in the near term you just uh reshuffle your priorities and i think seattle can do that because they can build their whole team around that notion of Go for it really quickly. See if you get traction. If you don't, pivot for the the, the draft in 2023 and, and, and go up from there. So a couple players that I think are interesting, um, they're going to have good players you know, on this team. There, there's no doubt about it. Uh, part of the discussion is do you, you have to take a certain number of dollars in cap hit to satisfy the expansion rules, whatever. But – 
to me, there are some players like that you have that you're just I would I would be jumping over like Yanni Gord. You, you I mean, from a selfish perspective, not seeing him in Tampa anymore would be great. But yeah. like, you you take him and you run. Like Tampa just could not protect everybody they wanted to, and it sucks. Yeah, Mark but Giordano, I think is Giordano is one that everybody thinks is go- is going to go. I'd be thinking if you're in that Seattle, uh, Nito Niederreiter is a great player for an expansion team. Now, I think he's yeah. really really good in that yep. situation. He, like, he's the one I would pick. I mean, because unless you th- unless you can sign Dougie Hamilton. But I would be then telling Dougie Hamilton, like, don't let me let you let me sign you later and get Nino Niederreiter. But yeah, I, I like that. I mean, there's there's also Jake Bean know, wouldn't be bad. Off, Jake Bean's Carolina. a good one. I think Max Domi would have a great time in Seattle. It would be a great reset for him. I want to like Seattle, though. Oh, he'd like Seattle. Seattle's no, I want to like Seattle. Oh, you want to like Seattle. Ah, I see. Because you're yeah. OK. Um so that's an interesting one. Chicago could lose Brandon Peary here. It's real. Oh, no. Oh, no. That would be terrible. Uh, yeah. What did you think about the, the Leafs going 4-4 four and four is bizarre. I mean, Kyle Dubas is a good GM, but, I mean, did you need to protect Justin Hall? Uh, is Dubas a good, I, could lose I think him. that there's more room to say that Dubas maybe isn't all that in a bag of chips. But Possibly he's, not. he's still probably a good GM, but I would have – probably protected one of Kerfoot or McCann, the one I thought that was better. You might as well have, because I, Justin Hall doesn't do anything for me. No, he does And not. I think that's in the same way that Marchman was protected just to keep Quinville happy, Hall was protected just to keep somebody happy. Yeah. Because I would have, I would have protected McCann, but I, I think that I think, I think Seattle is very likely taking Kerfoot. Now I'd take McCann over Kerfoot, but I think they're taking Kerfoot because again they need to make certain cap decisions. Uh, and Jared McCann, if he is a Leaf next year, uh, yeah, he's going to score a billion goals against the Panthers. That's just how it works. Just, just for us. Um, so, yes, is there is. anybody else that you're interested in? Like, there's a lot of other guys, as we talked about earlier, in Nashville. There's some of the of the Islander guys. I think Everly is available as well. But you, but some of those are contracts that they're saying I dare you to take that and they won't take it. Um, so I think this team's gonna be pretty good. You, I, I haven't seen any mock drafts since the uh, the list was released. I'm gonna look for them now, as we do. No, this. I haven't. I haven't really seen too many of them. But I've seen that like the models are saying that they should be getting high ninety points and. I mean, in that how how weak that division should be, that is true. Yes. Um, so, I would I would definitely do that. So, is there anybody out there you're like, wow, okay, I, w- I want to take that guy. Evgeny you know? Svechnikov from Detroit. That's it. That's an interesting buy low possibility that I I would be interested in. Yeah, I mean, I think. I think it allow like it, there's going to be places where you know that's not a team where you want to take salary. So then you work look for. I mean, maybe they take the Mestikov or somebody like Troy that. Troy Stetcher's uh, a good defenseman. Troy Stetcher was going to be the only one I would say would beat out Sveshnikov for me. But I I would take some other defenders, and I think it'd be fine without Troy Stetcher. But again, I'm surprised Stetcher and Sveshnikov were left off. Yeah. That's an interesting one. Also, Getty Dadnoff was left off by the uh, Ottawa Senators. Yeah. I mean, I would be taking Clefbaum. 
I know there's injuries and stuff there, but if that's he's not the gonna case, play this year. He's not gonna play this year. Well, I mean, you just take him. You just, I mean, what? what who else are you gonna take from Edmonton? I mean, I'll let me look at their list. Let me look at their list. I mean, Kulikov. You could take Larson. Yeah, I guess you're gonna sign him. Do that. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd be thinking of somebody. They don't have anybody I'd I'd like. <laughs> like it's all just a bunch. Seth of Seth Griffith. You remember uh, he's him? Still around, man. Yeah, Alan Quine. Uh, no, well, again, is it 2016 playoffs again? Alan Quine, is it uh, the NHL 2012 edition? Uh, uh, I don't know who you take. Like, and, I and that's guess, why I would take. Like, I guess, like, there is an because he's always to be made. LT, He's if, if he's not playing, it's because he's on the LTIR, and that's not cap space you have to worry about, so to speak. But I, if you're I, planning you know, to weaponize and trade an cap space, that Oscar Clefbaum and LTIRing him if you don't if you can't play is actually not a terrible pick because the Oilers have nobody you'd want. You know, I mean maybe I'm I'm just like you look at that list. Yeah, there's a couple of guys that are interesting bottom six forwards, but nothing that I'd be going like, yeah, I gotta take that. Um I'm trying to think of some other teams that have some guys where I'd be uh I'd be intrigued by it. I think we've mentioned some of the the big ones already. Now, if you uh, from the Avs, they left some guys that are interesting uh, unprotected. I would be if I were the Avs. I mean, I I understand Landis Cog. I get that, but I'd be taking Jonas Donskoy. They left. I mean, they protected Nichushkin, and that's all that matters to me. I know. I know. They did do that one just for you. I love they it. They did do that just for you. I would be taking. As I said, I'd be taking Donskoy. I'd love that if 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 I was Seattle, he's a guy who could chip in middle six. He's going to help you with your cap perspective, but also he's going to be very good. So I'd be whole hog down for that from a from a from a Seattle perspective. I think he'd be right where he needs to be. As I said, like for for the Hurricanes, we said I'd be probably taking Niederreiter. I really like I really like Niederreiter, but you're right about Jake Bean. He's another guy who I think could be very interesting. Um, as a as a little flyer of a move, there were a couple of other guys that were protected. I was like, okay, that's interesting. Not sure why they did that. Um, the the Capitals protected Trevor Van Riemsdyk for a reason that I'm not entirely sure about, but okay. Jonathan Druin, I think, is going to be good on the Kraken. I I think that. So be you think that solid. you think that they're going to take Duran instead of Price? I mean, I'm saying if they don't take Price, that would be. I would, again, I think in some cases you have to marry your we need to make a certain level of salary cap threshold with the, you know, I want to take an interesting bet on a guy who needs a new scenery. And Jonathan Duran's a guy that clearly is not working out in Montreal and should probably leave. And so I wouldn't mind that from a, from a Seattle perspective. It's another interesting one. There is some, some interesting, interesting guys out there. That. Hopefully, hopefully no one takes Pecorino. Nobody's taking Pecorino. Um, I do want to get to some other uh, other things around the league just briefly because I think we've touched on the expansion draft and we're going to have a, a show edits done. Uh, is there anything else from all of the random assortment of moves, all the crazy trades yesterday that caught your eye beyond the ones we talked about? I thought it was interesting that Andrew Ladd still exists. And... I found it interesting that, firstly... The price was what it was for that contract. It was a couple seconds and a third that could maybe be higher. I mean, the Islanders had those picks, so I don't think they care. They're, they're, the part of me is going, what are they up to? What are they thinking about? 
because if you're the Islanders, you absolutely 100% have to go for it next year. There is no reason not to. And that's part of that bizarre Metro division. Like, I know they're not going to be great in the regular season, but it doesn't matter if they get in the playoffs. But that cap space is necessary. And it, and it showed me that if that Stroman thing is going to happen, then the price isn't going to be anywhere near that bad. It might be a, a third or a second one, maybe a prospect. It's not going to be killer to get rid of that contract. Uh, and the funniest thing with Bill Armstrong saying Andrew Ladd's going to play. And I, and I know you liked my tweet where I'm like, ah, yes. Uh, <laughs> the Matrix Neo Dodge of, uh, boy, the Panthers got the right one when they hired Bill Zito, right? But that's what Arizona has to do. They have to take on bad contracts. They have, they have to rebuild their farm system. That's going to be one of the worst teams in the league next year. But they have to start rebuilding. That's one of the ways you can do it. Um, yep. The Rangers trading for the rights for Barkley Goodrow was the most obvious thing that was going to happen. I mean, the yeah. minute that they fired everybody and then said, we need to get tougher, I knew instantly that was going to happen. And the idea that he's going to get a six-year contract is lunacy, but it's the NHL, so it's not actually that crazy. I'm with you. Um, Nick Letty to the Red Wings, uh, not a great defenseman, but uh, the Red Wings are going to need to make the cap floor, and Letty could probably be flipped at the deadline to some contender, so I can understand that from a Red Wings perspective. In some ways, I understand that from a Red Wings perspective. The other big thing that happened that got kind of buried was Miro Haskinen got a huge deal, and I we love Miro Haskinen, so let's talk yep. about that. Um, it's uh, hopefully... I mean that that was a bigger number than I was thinking, and I don't. I think anytime someone signs a number that's bigger than what you're thinking, it drives everybody else's number up. So then, obviously, it's like how does this impact Barkov type thinking? Uh, highest finish defense, highest finish player. So that's obviously going to be, and Barkov was going to eclipse that anyway, but. Um, that that was interesting, but to me, he's worth every penny. He's the best up and coming defenseman in the league. He's gonna win a Norris at least one, and uh, I would pay probably two million more than that if it needed to be done first trading him. So I find that do what you gotta do that that contract because there's a there's a lot that can be said like have they has he really made it yet? But then there's also the aspect of you know, he's really good, and if he reaches that potential, then 8.45 doesn't seem that bad. Somebody pointed out also that all of these guys who are paying more than him are guys who are like, ah, oh, I really wish that contract wasn't signed. That was bad. <laughs> yeah, it was right. a funny point out of that. Uh, but I, I can see some arguments being made that you could argue it's a little overpay. I think some people have said that, but then you also could say, we're paying for what he could be down the line, and we know by the end of that contract that the cap's not going to be where it is, and Haskinen could be even better at that stage. So I'm, I'm definitely intrigued by that deal. So interested to see where that goes out for, for Dallas. It doesn't affect Barkov because obviously it's defenseman, but it does show you that's the floor for Kale McCarr. That's the floor. What is he, if, if Miro Haskinen's worth that, and Kale I mean, McCarr is honestly better... I don't think what are we thinking? I don't think McCarr is that much more. I mean, I think McCarr is probably nine, nine and a half for eight. I, well, I don't I, think. I was thinking more like yeah, nine. I would think nine probably seems to be the right number. But then there's also like if you're Kale McCarr, do you do a bridge deal and then wait for the cap to go up? Because then you start thinking, oh, I can make ten million. You know, 
but that's a discussion that he's got to have, right? Yeah. It's I it's agree. a it's a fascinating because like it also came in a little higher than Thomas Shabbat too, and Shabbat I think it was like eight million a year. So. Yeah, I mean, but I think Shabbat Shabbat was uh, staying out of this hellhole money. <laughs> By the way, uh, there are a couple of other things we should mention now that I think about it. Um, Duncan Keith, everybody already laughed at that. You don't need to think about it, especially after, you know, Suter was bought out and all these other good defensemen are now available that are better than Duncan Keith. But uh, no more Pierre Maguire on our televisions. He's now working for Eugene. I'm sure he won't be awful on the merit of his skills, but if he's the same type of personality and person he was in Hartford with all, you know, that drama and the backstabbing and all that, it's like having a second Melnick. So, well, I saw somebody point out hilariously of like, ah, there's your next GM of the Ottawa senators. Uh, I hope, I mean, the senators, are an interesting team because you could make an argument that next year they should be taking a step up. Now they are in a brutal division that is going to do not a single favor to them, right? Like the division next year is going to just brutalize them, but they're going to be, again, Buffalo's going to be awful. The Red Wings are going to be pretty bad too. The senators are going to be annoying and they're going to be pesky. And if, if Ottawa was in another division, then I'd feel a little bit more confident about them. But they're in the the worst division in hockey to be in because you're in with four possible cup contenders in that division. That's just brutal. Well, yeah. I mean, and that and that's the that's the issue, right? There's a lot of issues, but the issue is it's going to be, they have a lot of things to do, and to put it all together once they get all those things is the, a whole different issue. I also so, found it very yeah. funny that they wouldn't allow Jack Capuano of all people. Jack Capuano to interview for the Sabres head coaching job. What a world. You know, there's some guys you just know you want to keep around, and Jack Capuano is one of them. Wow. That was some praise right there. <laughs> so, I... Boy, is that too I mean, thick? Is that did, too I, thick? did I say things about Jack Capuano in the past? Maybe I did. It's quite possible that I did that. I think so. Uh, anyway, uh, I think that's about everything there is to mention from all of the madness that was these last like 48 hours uh there aren't really many other anything crazy to say i mean the rangers hired gerard gallant that's a good coaching hire we obviously i respect gerard gallant a lot i think he'll do a lot for that rangers team all the other coaching hires aren't really anything to write home about so it's now a matter of what does the expansion draft bring does seattle go in with these big stars on big contracts do they take carry price or do they not do that how many teams do they fleece and and here's the thing i think about with that the idea that they're going to make those side deals i don't even think it's going to be that many i really don't think they're going to be that many because there aren't that many teams over a barrel in the same way that they were um in 2017 and i think cap friendly pointed this out only three teams went 4-4-1 this season uh with this draft seven went 441 in 2017 27 of the 30 teams for the expansion draft went 731 hmm. the only teams that didn't were toronto tampa and nashville i found that really interesting does that mean that teams learned their lesson 
or does it mean that teams will be like, we can replace these lesser valued defensemen more than we could have in the past? I don't know. What do you, what do you think? I think that there is more attention to what type of defenseman you're looking for. So people have a more narrow idea and there's so many versions of it out there and different narrow ideas that it's easy to get what you want. If you are committed to going out, finding them and then pressuring GMs and taking them off waivers, maybe even throwing a, an offer sheet at them or, um, you know, being aggressive in UFA to get some guys that people be like, who, I don't know why we just signed that dude, but you know, it's somebody that you're scouted. Can somebody else find their Gus Forsling is basically what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, if you, I think what one of the things the Panthers showed in the sample size of one shortened season for whatever it's worth is that if you know how you want to run a defense and you have the structure, you have an Ekblad, you have a Uyghur, you can fill that out, you know, pretty well. Did you, you, know, did you find it interesting the way that the Lightning ended up mowing through Carolina? They had their struggles with the Islanders, and then they mowed through Montreal. And you saw the way that the Islanders tried to gum up the works against Tampa, and it worked. That's just how the Islanders play. But watching the rest of the playoffs and going back and thinking about how Florida said, you know what, this is how we play, and we're going to die doing it. I, was, I, I found it more amusing that they tried to do the run-and-gun in the playoffs and they still won two games doing it again remember because you would hear the stats of oh tampa has only given up a lead after the second period once and it was oh right the panthers came back from five through down and won in overtime when you know they just were said screw it we're gonna play the way we play and that's just how we have to do it and i admire it in some ways you know because one of the the ideas that i think jack han posted on twitter Obviously, if you haven't read Jack Hahn, you should do it. Is like, are the Panthers going to change the way they play for the future because of what Tampa did to them? And I said, Tampa's probably just a team that is a unicorn and they can play any different way you want and they'll beat you. But the Panthers played that way in their first year under Quenville, even with just tire fires at the back, right? And they still managed to score a ton of goals. Like, this is the way that they play. And this is the way they felt that can maximize the talent that they have available. So I think next year you're even going to see maybe an extension of it, right? Like some of the things I've been thinking about is like, what comes back next year? Like, are they going to go five forwards in the power play again? Is Anthony Duclair going to be like number one penalty kill? Like all these kind of unique little things that they tried. Like, how well, I mean, I don't, back? See, I, I don't think, you know, Anthony Duclair and the penalty kill should be unique. I mean, I think that's, you know, he's fast, he works hard. And well, th there is he, that, but I'm saying... He can carry like, the puck and, I find and it so it. fascinating that it's quite possible that, you know, people think that the Panthers might adjust the way they play and be a little more reserved. I don't think that's going to be the I case think they are. I mean, I think that they are, defensively they will adjust. They will have more patience with the puck. They will have more poise with the puck. The thing, the reason they had to go so breakneck is because Montour... Uh, God. Forsling. 
not even no not Forsling, but some of the other D. You know, they have to move fast enough where they can't think because if they slow it down, have some poise. And I'm not talking like really slow, but you know, play with some controlled pace. You know, run the clock, own the clock, and you know, control the tempo. They don't they don't have a defenseman that can do that outside the big two. Obviously, you know, your best defensemen have to do that. But they need guys who can, you know, do that in spurts and do that a little bit. So they, you know, all of a sudden the puck's behind Montour and he's just, you know, out to lunch and it's over. You know, you, you, know you got to know, you, you know when to turn that down. And when Montour turns that down, that's when he becomes a, oh, yeah, he's probably nothing. And if he's in Buffalo, he looks horrible. In Florida, he'd probably look somewhat like Yandel does, like, to some people, he looked okay enough to to put up with. For the others, it'd be like, oh, it's not worth it. I see. I I found it with some of those players was like, yeah. At 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 worst, he was Yandel level bad. At the best, it was he makes sense because they're playing at such a breakneck pace. And if if they're, you know, and I don't the, think I, they're gonna want to play at that breakneck pace all the time. I mean, in the regular season, it's yes, but in the playoffs, I mean, more so. I think they're gonna. They're going to want to go out and get a defenseman that can do that, but also do other things. And I think that's the type of defender they're, yeah, they're I, looking Yeah, I, w- I would see that. Like, the the, the best version of the Even Panthers... It, and they still might bring Montour back and go out and get that defenseman I'm talking about and then just stuff Montour on the third pair and call it a day. Depending on how the expansion draft goes. The one thing I think that will be interesting for the Panthers is next year if they can find that other gear... Because we know that very few teams in the league, if the Panthers do want to play, you know, pond hockey, could play with them, right? Because when the Panthers were on last year and were playing at the way that they want to play at that high tempo, high pace, very few teams can live with that. It's a matter, can they find that other gear that Tampa was able to find to, you know, to balance that is, is an open question. But there's still so much to come. The expansion draft's going to be nuts. I'm very very intrigued by it. I'm also intrigued again. The last time I watched anything hockey related on ESPN, I wasn't even 11. So it's going to be a little bit of a, fl- I mean, you, you remember more of it, I think than I do. Uh, so it's going to be very fun to watch some ESPN hockey coverage now. And I'm looking forward to it. Uh, Chris Fowler hosting the expansion draft is great. I love Chris Fowler. Uh, even though he roots for Chelsea, which is a terrible decision. Uh, and and yes. your, your favorite John Butchergrass hosting the draft. Oh, yes, my favorite. Oh, don't worry. Fridge will be on. It'll be fine. Man, that's or you can not just much watch better these live stream. That's probably what I'll do. Yes, sir. So we will have this, uh, again, lots more great podcasting coming. And uh, good night and good hockey until they make another trade, which actually can't happen because it's a trade.